Matt Smith in a bit of space. Marshall on his feet. Hi guys, today I was joined on the podcast by James Marshall. James is the host of the What A Lad podcast, which is one of the biggest podcasts in rugby. However, before his podcasting days, he's played for the Hurricanes in New Zealand, London Irish in England, New Zealand Sevens, and he also had a stint in Japan. We don't speak about this much on the podcast, but he's also been coaching for the Tasman Marco in New Zealand, and he's also been appointed Crusaders backs coach for next season, which is huge. We chat about what he's learned from playing with players like Bowden Barrett, how he dealt with retirement. He also gives some great advice for young players. Enjoy. How did you get into podcasting? Mate, good question. It was... Um... It was when I was coming to the end of my career and I had hip surgery. So I was like um, sort of thinking about some options of what I wanted to do post footy and sort of wrote down three things that I wanted to do. One of them was coach. Um, one of them was potentially get into the podcast scene. And one was um, work with young kids coming through sort of like an academy setup. So um, first thing I did was start the podcast and um, gave myself the goal of sort of doing 10 episodes and see where I was. Um, see if I enjoyed it or not and um, yeah I did enjoy it so I've just kept on going kept rolling with it you've listened to so many rugby players speak so if you'd done this podcast when you were playing rugby do you think you'd be a better player oh mate I to be honest like I don't think I I feel like I probably got as much out of my career as I potentially could have I was never that gifted um you know, I was smaller, slower. I didn't wasn't blessed to be a rugby player, I don't feel. Um, so I always felt like I was pretty much near the maximum of my potential as a player anyway. But, mate, there's no no doubt there's um, some key learnings and stuff that I've learned through these podcasts around the mindset mainly, yeah, around how guys have, um, you know, handled setbacks in their career. It might be injuries or things like that. Guys like Ethan Black had a spring to mind around how um, – how positive he is or how excited he is around when he gets injured because he knows he's going to come back better and little little things like that where it's just been like gold for me is um, not just a player or guys who are going through that player journey at the moment but for me now in the coaching scene I feel like I'm learning heaps around um, how to how to manage players or um, what makes players tick or how to try and get a little bit, bit more out of guys. Are there any key things that you keep hearing from players which maybe people wouldn't expect? Um, oh, not so much that I wouldn't expect, but uh, a lot of it's always hard work. I mean, yeah. that's always seems to be the crux of it. Like, um, enjoy it. Um, whenever I ask for that advice, a lot of the times, make sure you're loving what you're doing. And um, if you do love what you're doing, then um, you're going you're gonna to push through those harder moments a lot easier than if you're not enjoying it or if you've been sort of forced to play rugby. So make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. And that's usually because you love the sport. If you're in it for the money or the fame or the social media side of things, um, as soon as you get injured, you're going to struggle. So 
Um, that, that always seems to be a big one as well. Um, what else, mate? There's, there's a few. Always be yourself. That seems to be one. Um, guys get caught up trying to be someone they're not um, in environments and then get uncomfortable and a bit of a spiralling effect. So um, off the top of my head, that's the three probably big ones that I feel like I'm hearing quite consistently. You said you weren't a very good player, but that's not true. So talk, <laughs> talk to me about your playing days. Um, I'll start with like how you got into rugby and like the young days. Yeah, so I was I was always obsessed with rugby. Um, loved it. Uh, would watch as much footy as I could as a young fella. Um, would play outside in the backyard with my brother whenever I could. Um, so I was always obsessed with it, but I was never... Like, I was never that good as a kid coming through. I wouldn't make the rep teams. Um, but I always had this dream to become a professional rugby player, even though I, I wasn't really sure it was realistic or not. But I sort of gave myself a goal um, when I missed out on the under-16 rep team in, at my school of just giving it a real good crack until the first 15. And if I didn't make the first 15, I'd give up on that. Um, professional rugby dream that I had so uh, asked my parents instead of a present for Christmas get me a gym membership um, got got stuck and made as many sacrifices because I was getting up early I was biking everywhere running everywhere um, and just really committed to trying to be the best athlete I could so I did notice that when I did that I started to get some real good rewards and things started to happen pretty quickly and mm-hmm. sort of became pretty contagious and the harder I was training, the more things were happening, the more teams I was making. And yeah, got, um, yeah, started making the teams that I wasn't expected to make and um, sort of took me through Tasman. And then, um, yeah, my career sort of started from there. Yeah. So after leaving school, um, did you get an academy contract with Tasman? Yes, I did. I, I did get an t- academy uh, contract where I was doing the um, early morning shifts and um, I was trying to study, which I was studying uh, sports science at the time, which was a bit of a token um, study gesture just to um, help me progress my rugby career. Um, and then, yeah, the following year, I made the Tasman mark. I did a full year um, in that academy and then the following year I made it and Managed to play every game off the bench that first year and, um, yeah, really enjoyed it. First taste of professional footy or as close as it was going to be for me. And I was just like, I was loving it. I was loving sort of living the dream that I had. Yeah. And then how long after that did you um, get into the Hurricanes? So it was four years later. um, I did four years at Tasman. And every year I sort of felt like I was on in the frame to sort of maybe get a stint with the Crusaders, which was in the region at the time. Oh, so, okay. um, yeah, I felt like I was chipping away for a while there with not much reward. And then the Hurricanes came calling. Um, and to sign with the Hurricanes, I had to move up to Taranaki. So um, you had to be in the region to sign with the Canes at the time. So um, I made that move, moved up there. Um, yeah, and, and loved it. I was always a massive fan of the Canes growing up. They were my team. Christian Carlin was was my idol. And, um, yeah, to think that I was in that environment when I got there was pretty surreal. And how soon after getting there were you able to sort of crack into the team? Yeah, so the first year I was just in a wider squad, so I pretty much just did the preseason. 
And then I, you get sent home and um, you're just on injury cover pretty much. So that first year, no, no one got injured. Bodie never got injured pretty much through my whole career. So um, I didn't get called in that first year, but the second year I'd earned the full contract. So I was in full time. But even that year, I probably only had maybe three or four games. Um, didn't really feel like I took my opportunities when I was given them. And then it was the following year. So my third year in the squad, um, I managed to pretty much start every game that year, which was pretty surprising for me because there were so many world-class players. I mean, I think I was the only non-all-black in the side. It was 2015 when we lost the final and go through that team sheet and everyone's all-blacks, um, even all-blacks on the bench who I was somehow keeping out. But um, I loved that year. I think it was some of the best years of my career, um, 2015-2016 at the Canes, I think. Is probably the best footy I played throughout my career, and um, mate, just loved it. I loved being involved with that side. So many world class players like TJ Bodie, Conrad Smith, Manonu, Savia, Milner Scudder, all these guys. And then there's just me at the back, <laughs> <laughs> just trying to pretend I'm one of them. <laughs> so you're playing with some of the best players in the world. Was, it, mm. was there ever a moment where you just thought, like, I'm not good enough to be here? Mate, I don't know if it was like I'm not good enough, but it did feel like um, I did often think, like, how am I here? Like, literally, like, might even, like, every week when we're, they're naming the back three, you know, it was like there's Corey Jane, uh, Milner Scudder, Xavier, myself, Jason Woodward even, who was hardly getting a sniff. And I just felt like, mate, how are they, why are they keep, keeping on picking me? But whenever I was out there, I felt like I was contributing. I felt like I added something different that those guys did obviously there was heaps of x factor across that team so they probably didn't really need any more game breakers it, like most of them well all of them were game breakers so i was sort i sort of felt like i was that the guy who was more sort of just feeders and feeding as much communication as possible to bodie help him out mm. um give him be sort of his eyes um and just make some really smart decisions and um, make sure the team's, you know, playing, playing the right areas and all those sort of things. So, um, yeah, my role was a little bit different to um, the rest of the team, but I felt like uh, my role was pretty important. How, just how good is Bowden Barrett? Like, is he tearing off every single training session or like, what's it like? He is, he is freakish. And ever since he was young, like, I remember the like first few trainings I saw, I was like, man, this guy is just so good. Like everything just seems to, you know, he's the guy who you just always seems to get the bounce of the ball or mm. like whenever, or like if he goes for an intercept, it always sticks, those sort of things. Like um, everything just sort of happens to him, but it's just like his anticipation and his his speed, um, his fitness, he's just, he's an, he is an incredibly gifted athlete. He's got all the skills, um, yeah, he's definitely one of my favorite players to play with. Um, you know, like when when I was feeding in those communi- that communication to him, it was it was awesome because like if if I told him that that left corner was open, um, I know that he had that skill set to kick it hard and flat and execute it. Like, and when I started playing with other teams afterwards, I might feed in that same communication, but the ten I was playing with might have like you know shanked it down the middle and then that. <laughs> That what what was good communication ended up being a terrible terrible comms because it wasn't executed from that ten. Yeah. So, um, 
like when you're feeding that information to Bodie, you know that he can execute it. It just gives you so much more confidence to um, feed in what you're seeing. So, but yeah, I, I definitely love playing with him. He's a gifted player. Yeah. Someone who's that good, what's his lifestyle like? Does he live differently? Did he live differently to you? Um, oh, he was making more money, but other. <laughs> <laughs> No, nah, he, he's such a humble guy. Like, honestly, right. if you if you went and sat down with Bowden Barrett, um, you would not know he's the man that he is. He's just, he's incredibly humble. I think, mm. like, I had a podcast with him. It's definitely the most downloaded podcast that I've done, um, the Bowden Barrett one. It's very popular. So many people surprised with how um, just normal and, you know, humble he is. He's just, yeah. he is just a, he is just a lad who, um, is just gifted in the sport that he's chosen. But no, nah, he, I mean, he obviously has a nice house. He's got, uh, you know, he lives a cool life, but uh, yeah. he, he, he deserves it. And I, I love seeing him do well because uh, he's, he's such a legend. Yeah. I guess what I'm trying to ask is like, would you ever see him eating a burger? Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, <laughs> loves a burger, loves, loves a beer. Um, yeah, no, nah, he, yeah, he, All right. he's definitely a normal, normal sort of guy. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of young players nowadays, um, feel like you just can't do that. Mm. But Mate, I, was, I, was, I was the same when I was um, coming through, like when I was training, my expectations of the All Blacks were like, I don't know, like these gods who obviously would just spend the whole week just doing everything they could to be the best rugby player they could. And it wasn't until sort of I got into that professional rugby scene and I was like, back then guys were like smoking and they were like on the piss all the time. I was like, what is this? Like yeah. these guys are supposed to be like professional rugby players. I couldn't believe sort of, um, you know, the, the lack of professionalism at the time. My, my idea around these guys was so different to what it was, but um I mean, there's a time and a place like Bowden, obviously, he he, um, he wouldn't be out on the piss all the time. He, he definitely, his diet would be right. But there's, there's a time and a place when um, you get an opportunity to have a few beers or um, you might have a, a bit of a cheap meal or something like that. So um, it's not all serious and full time. You can't, you know, have to be switched on into rugby all the time. But um, it is everything within moderation if you're, if you're out on the piss or, Drink, eating burgers all the time, it's going to um, come and back and affect your performance. But every now and again, mate, um, all the players will be enjoying themselves at some point. Mm. Have you got any, have you got a good story about maybe a time where like the lack of professionalism really shocked you? Um, I think that some of the early days in my, in my Tasman career, like um, Tasman was just starting. So, um, yeah, it was just sort of the amount of drinking that was going on and how often. So like the midweek drinking sessions or something that I always thought was would have been unheard of it in that in the you know in the game. I thought maybe like after weekend, yeah, for sure, maybe celebrate a good win and stuff. But when you hear about the like Wednesdays or Thursdays before a game, you're like, holy, is this I just was just sort of blew my mind a little bit. But yeah. Obviously, times have changed. Uh, that was that was a wee while ago now. But um, I mean, there's still guys who who do it and can get away with it. But um, they're they're not the ones who end up getting to the elite 
end of the game. Mm. Do you feel there's any merit in going into a game just feeling good? Like, even if, like, that means you had a burger or ever had a pint, like, as opposed to someone who's just done everything but feels, you know, I mean, more stress going into a game. Like, do you think there's any merit in that? Yeah, well, I, I do think it's totally up to the individual. Like, I know so many guys who are so chilled out and I guess they're... They're usually a little bit more naturally gifted, but they they don't really care. Like they're not as obsessed. But there's some guys who I know have to do everything routine. They feel like they're, they're not good enough to um, get away with that sort of stuff. So it does totally come down to the individual. What if it works for you? It works for you. And um, some guys might say eating two or three burgers before the game works for them, just because. Uh, they had one good game and after having it. But I mean, you just have to look at the barbarians, like how they compete. Like they're, they're literally on the, on the piss all week and um, they go and play international rugby and generally do a really good job considering their preparation. But um, I mean, you could do that for a week, but you try doing that for your whole career and um, it's going to catch up with you at some point. But yeah, there's definitely merit in, feeling good going into the game. That's what it's all about. You want to be feeling as good as possible and confident, ready to play. So if, if you feel more confident from having a burger, yeah, go for it. But I know a lot of guys don't because they'll be thinking, shit, that, that burger's coming up to um, get me here. Mm. What was the best game you ever played? Oh, good question. <laughs> Few and far between. Um, there's, there's, there's this game against the Highlanders, 2015, Mm. Um, it was a few weeks before the final, um, and I as the only like I was never one to break a tackle, but I remember that game. I I scored probably the best try of my career, where I broke maybe three or four tackles and ran it from about forty meters, and and I was just it was just one of those moments I always look back on as probably one of my favorite moments or favorite tries, and I felt like that whole game. Um, yeah, I didn't do much wrong and probably played the best game of my career, potentially, yeah. I guess what I'm trying to get at is, like, going into a game like that, like, did you do anything differently? No, nah, I had a shock of the week before, to be fair. I remember um, the weekend before, I had, I think we played against the Crusaders and I remember getting called into the coach's office and they sort of just asked, like, what was, what was that performance? And, I don't know. I didn't really know what it was. I just sort of said it was just one of those nights where things didn't go my way. And um, yes, just the harder I tried, the worse things sort of got. And I was pretty gutted after that game because, I mean, that was a game in my hometown against, um, you know, in front of all my friends and family. So I don't know if it was the occasion or what it was. It didn't feel any different, but I just didn't feel like one of those games that went well. So I don't know whether it's just an extra edge or something around the performance uh, around the weekend uh, that had just gone's performance, but um, yeah, uh, I felt like I had to have a big game, and um, yeah, I was just glad that I did. <laughs> yeah, that 2015 team. You've probably been asked this so much. What made it all come together? Well, the thing was, it didn't really because. We didn't win the we didn't win the competition. So that I always I always look back on that team and think it's probably the best team to not win the comp. Like I felt like we had all the pieces in place. We had a world class team. I 
I still think we were better than the Highlanders who won it. But um, on the night, they 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 did the job and um, we didn't. So, um, yeah, I, I yeah, I still look back at that team and think what could have been. I felt like we should have been winning the competition that year. I feel like 2015 was team was better than the 2016 team on paper, but um, it wasn't until the following year that we'd won it. So, yeah, yeah. Do you think there was any differences, like just in the team setting between the two years? Yeah, hard to know, eh? Like, um, I think being in those final series and losing the final definitely helped. I think we learned a few things. Um, I felt like we were probably overconfident going into that final as a side. And we felt like we were just going to um, win potentially. Um, I know we didn't ever talk about that, but. I mean, we didn't really come up with the, we didn't really change our game plan. We just sort of thought that what we were doing was going to be good enough. And yeah, I know that the Highlanders, talking to a lot of those Highlander guys, they 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 changed a lot for that game. They had a lot of plans around how they were going to beat us, and they managed to execute. And it was, I mean, it was a really close game, but um, and few things didn't go our way. But yeah, that's that's sport and that's footy. So. Um, yeah. Yeah, the following time we we obviously I think we were a little bit more on edge heading into those finals. Um, we were lucky that we were playing back to back South African teams. We had to do a fair bit of travel, so um, the draw sort of worked out for us as well. But yeah, yeah, yeah I think Bodie put on a clinic in the final too, getting man of the match and scoring a couple of oh one yeah. pretty freakish tries. So yeah, some good memories. How much of an impact do you think it has that the um, South African teams aren't in the competition? Yeah, well, they're obviously going really well over there, eh? So um, it's just a different style that I guess the New Zealand teams miss out on playing. Like South Africans play a unique style of rugby, which is is cool to test yourself against. And I know the All Blacks are going to experience that in the next couple of weeks when they head over there and play South Africa. But it's going to be interesting to see how that game goes, having uh, these sort of styles not face each other for a while. But, yeah, it's definitely a shame. I, I think they they were an awesome addition to it. But um, I understand why they've moved over there. It makes more sense to be over in the UK with the time difference and things. And, um, yeah, it's cool that we've been able to expand Super Rugby here with like the likes of Fiji Drawer and Moana Pacifica. I feel like they've been really good additions to the competition here as well. So, um, but yeah, like I said, those those styles is the big thing that yeah. I miss about South Africa. Yeah. Do you think that affected them against Ireland? Um, good question, actually. Uh, I don't think so. I think Ireland play a pretty different style themselves and um, unique style. And I love, I love the way Ireland play. Mate. They, they're attacking shapes, world class, and consistently get set up into good shapes to a threat in the D and all blacks really struggled um, both sides of the ball to be fair. Um, yeah. And it was, a, it was an interesting series. I eh? uh, really enjoyed watching that and um, all blacks under the pump a little bit to see how they can bounce back from that. It's, it's weird. Cause you just, you always expect them to just bounce back. Like even mm-hmm. if it's in a game towards the end of the game or they've lost this, the next game, they're going to bounce back. So you like, you're just always expecting the All Blacks to win the next game. Yeah, like even in that game where they got the red card, like 
they had 14 men for what was it 60 minutes and I mean the New Zealand public just assume they're still going to win like against the number one or they weren't they were number one in the world now Ireland yeah. so um, and even in that game they're down what 20 points at half time they score a couple of tries and you think oh here we go they're, they're going to just roll back into this but um, yeah both cases they were unsuccessful and yeah, like I say they're under the pump a wee bit the public are brutal Mm. New Zealand, like, it's, it's brutal. Mate, they're, they're so passionate. I guess you look at it and you think, man, that's just unfair or, like, why are they, why are they treating these guys like that? Um, but they're just so passionate about footy and they, they love rugby and they want the Blacks to be the best and yeah. they have been for a long time. So when they're not, um, yeah, people people will speak out and they demand better than that. So I, I understand both sides of the fence. I can say, like, mate, it's back off a little bit. These guys are trying their best, that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, the public are the ones who uh, make this team successful. They're the ones who bring the revenue in by, you know, going to the games and um, keeping the interest high. So, um, yeah, it is cool that the uh, the public get so, uh, so, so in behind them so much. Mm. Did you ever, like, get hate online when you were playing? To be honest, I was pretty lucky for most of my career. Um, got a little bit early on, a couple of games. I like the. First, I remember the first time I got, a, I think I gave away a couple of penalties, and someone slid into my DMs abusing me, and I was like, "Oh, okay." This was sort of the first time I got it, but it wasn't. I didn't notice it until I sort of came back from Japan. Bodie had left the Hurricanes, and I was signed as sort of his replacement, which um, never went down too well with the majority of the public. So that's when I sort of realised, like, uh, I had to be quite careful with how much I was reading because a lot of it was negative. And, um, yeah, it it does have its toll. It's hard to ignore. You get tagged in things uh, by your mates and stuff. So it's pretty hard to just um, not see it. Um, But, yeah, you've, you've got to have pretty thick skin these days. I mean... If you want to be on social media, you're going to read, you're going to see, you're going to see comments or articles about you. It might be positive or negative, but it's pretty important not to be too, to get too emotional, too attached to those comments, whether they're positive or negative. Um, try and keep it pretty level-headed because, mate, if like any footy player knows you're only as good as your your next game or your last game, so um it can all turn around pretty quick yeah you're one good game away from being a hero or one bad game away from copying all that abuse like you mentioned yeah do you have any other advice for players who might struggle with that at the moment with copying the online yeah. hate yeah um no i sort of like i mentioned like if you if you're going to read it um be prepared to um try and stay disattached to it. Like, yeah, don't take it, don't take it to heart. Um, The opinions of the people close to you, like all the people that you need to have um, good opinions, uh, good, good feedback from obviously your coach, yourself and and your teammates really. Like even in my career, like I always remember my, my parents, like they, like my old man, he always wanted me to be like, highlights play loved it when I'd break the line but it just wasn't really my game like I couldn't it wasn't yeah like we had all those game breakers those line breakers in our team and my my role was something different so um, I used to get a little bit frustrated at times around when he'd say like 
why, why aren't you breaking the line or there's no highlights from you in that game, but it wasn't all about highlights for me. So even like, uh, I guess again, trying to, what I'm trying to say about that is like even your parents, um, some people would say that they're really important to get the feedback from, but for me, they weren't. It was more around my coach and um, what, I, what I knew myself, what I needed to do myself and my teammates. So um, yeah, making sure you, you're, you're trying to impress the right people, I guess. Yeah. Yep. Um, talk to me a bit about like the process you went through when you retired. How early did you know and how hard was it? Um, so oh, I was struggling with my hip for a long time. So I always knew that I wasn't going to have a long career. Um, I was sort of told pretty early on, maybe when I was like 20, that I'd be lucky to get into my 30s. Um, so I sort of had that sort of in the back of my mind. I had hip surgery at 25 on both hips, um, trying to extend my career. And um, that lasted a couple of years. And they were probably the, like I mentioned before, probably the couple of better years of my career. But uh, moved over to London, Irish, um, played a lot of minutes over there. And my hips slowly did start to deteriorate and went to Japan. Um, and once I was there and going back and forth with the canes, my hips were pretty stuffed. So um, I knew I was coming to the end of my career once I had that hip surgery. Um, I was told that I could potentially get back, but in the back of my mind, I thought I was done. So I sort of had a nine-month period to rehab my hip um, where I thought here's an awesome opportunity to try and prepare for life after rugby. And um, that was like what I mentioned at the start where I started up my podcast. Um, the Canes actually offered me a coaching role straight away. So even though I was signed as a player, um, Carlos Spencer had left mid-season. So and Jason Holland asked me if I'd take his role and take the backs for the rest of the year. So that was a really awesome opportunity to get straight into coaching. Um, and then once I'd, once my time was done, moved down to Tasman, uh, started coaching at Nelson College or teaching rugby at Nelson College, got a Tasman, a role with Tasman Marco, and um, the podcast was starting to pick up some momentum. So I had three things that I really wanted to do um, post-footy, and it was just about keep doing them until I enjoy one of them more than the other or an opportunity comes that um, I can't turn down. So I'm sort of at that stage at the moment where I'm doing, I'm now assistant coach of Tasman, um, podcast yeah. is going well. Um, getting offered more roles at Nelson College. But um, next year, I feel like something's going to have to give. I'm going to have to choose um, one or two of those things mm. and, yeah, see where they go. It sounds like you did so well after finishing rugby just because you had so many things to jump into. But I bet you know a lot of people who really struggled. Yeah, I know. And I, I'm talking to them all the time on the podcast. Um like recent one, Scott Hamilton, like it's crazy to hear his struggles post footy. And um, when I posted that, I got so many messages from other players about how they could relate to that. So uh, I know it's a massive issue in the game, like um, how, how many guys struggle. And like, to be honest, like, I, I can't really relate to it because my post footy has been um, so, so good. And I almost feel bad saying that. I feel like I sh should have struggled more, but um, I've, I've enjoyed it. I, I I don't miss playing the game at all. Um, I probably wasn't enjoying it as much as I should towards the back end because I was in so much pain trying to play on my hip. But um, I guess I'm still in those rugby environments as well with the coaching, so I still get that camaraderie or banter that a lot of the guys miss as well. So I guess that's another benefit of staying in the game and the coaching scene. 
and I'm talking to players like on a on a deeper level all the time on the podcast. So I know that's a big thing that a lot of guys miss is um, that side of side of the game or that changing of banter and things like that. But um, I'm guessing I'm still getting that. And like I said, I don't miss throwing my body into um, big collisions or anything like that. So I'm not missing that side of the game. So. I mean, yeah, I have really enjoyed my transition and um, I don't know how I've done it, but um, yeah, I, I, it's it's actually been a lot better than I expected because I always had a bit of anxiety around it because you hear so many stories like, and I never really had a plan. I had ideas of things I wanted to do, but I didn't have any real things set in stone or any job offers. So it was all sort of um, wait and see until I get there and then, and put myself out there and do as many as I can to um, see how it goes. Yeah, that's really good to hear. Um, anything big coming up soon for you? What can we expect next? Oh, mate, I don't know, to be honest. Um, hopefully, I, I, I am sort of in the transition where I feel like I'm either going to go um, hard on the podcast or um, get a coaching gig somewhere that's going to, no, it'd be too good to turn down. So I feel like I'm on the edge of one of those things and I'm just not sure what it's going to be. I'd love to be able to continue doing both. I don't, mm. don't feel like um, my college job's going to have enough sort of, you know, I, the college job's solid for me and I love working with young kids, young talent coming through. But um, I just, I feel I'm probably a little bit more passionate about um, coaching at a high level or, and the podcast, this Waterlad brand that I've created. I feel like yep. it's, um, I've been working pretty hard at it for the last couple of years. I feel like it would almost be um, a bit of a waste to throw it in now or, um, with what I've built. So, yeah, I'm in a bit of a, a crossroads at the moment, but I'll have to just wait and see. I don't like to get too far ahead of myself because, man, things can change so quick in the game. Eh? Like uh, one minute you're thinking you're doing one thing and the next minute you get an offer somewhere and you're like, oh, mate, that, that's awesome. I'm off or I'm, I'm keen. So, you never quite know. Yeah. Well, last one. Any advice for young players? Oh, mate, here we go. Love this. Love this way to end a podcast. It's good stuff. Um, but, mate, no, like I, like I said at the start from some of the other advice that um, I've been told, I think um, it's really important to try and enjoy what you're doing. Like, I think one thing that, sort of helped me like when I when I was coming through retirement or before my rugby career even it was I sort of sat down and thought like what would I do if I wasn't if money wasn't an issue I, I guess that's the question you've got to ask yourself like if you've got unlimited money or you could retire now like what would you actually do would you would you sit down and play PlayStation or like what what do you want to do with your life or what's what's the dream do you like to inspire people do you you love talking to people, you like coaching or whatever it is, might be walks along the beach and then how can you make that an income? Or like there's so many ways to make income these days from doing weird stuff like PlayStation, you can literally become a millionaire from being a good gamer these days. It's like um, so many things you can, like you can potentially, you like walking along the beach, you could probably uh, create a TikTok where you walk along different beaches every day and, somehow become make that you know financially sustainable like there's so many weird things it's such a different technology's changed the game you don't have to be a doctor lawyer or dentist or whatever it is to to have an income you can 
do pretty much whatever you want if if you're yeah. if you're willing to work hard at it. So yeah, I'd say do what do what you want to do, do what you love doing, and uh, when you love what you do, you become way more passionate about it. So um, you'll work harder to make that. You'll you'll work harder to achieve that. So that'd probably be my advice. Right, heard it here first. Well, mate, thank you so much for coming on. Um, it was really great to chat. Nah, no worries, mate. Um, love your work. Keep doing what you're doing. And um, yeah, it's awesome to see what you're doing. Cheers.